If you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. This pulpit is actually nice. I mentioned during the early service this morning, I've been behind some pulpits that are just it's disgusting, to say the least. Uh, there, there are some pulpits, you know, I'm like on my tiptoes and I'm trying, you know, unless you're, let, make sure this is on one, two, three, unless you are, there we go, unless you're five foot three, you have no idea the pain and agony. I, I can't even get the cornflakes without climbing all over the kitchen, amen? But it is a joy to be here today. My wife and I have been in the ministry for about 35 years. Uh, my wife is back home with the grandchildren on a short trip like this. Uh, I leave my wife with the grandkids because that's one of the sacrifices that she made to go to Southeast Asia. Now on our way to China, uh, we have been serving. Actually, March 15th was four years in Southeast Asia. We served first in communist Laos. And uh, that's a communist country, and you can't pass out tracts, and you can't have church services. We would never carry our Bible in public, that type of thing. Everything sort of undercover. And we got an a English school started, and we got a church planted. We have a Bible institute there, and God's doing some amazing things there. And then the last couple of years been in the country of Cambodia, and we have a t- team there. We've had a team there in, uh, for the past six years. And uh, we have planted four churches. We have 12 village ministries. We'll talk a little bit about that, I think, this evening. 12 village ministries. And all of those ministries, Lord willing, will someday be churches. On an average Sunday, there'll be about 700 people gathering together, hearing the preaching of the Word of God. And I just want to say thank you, White Oak Baptist Church, for supporting us, for praying for us, because we cannot go... If you don't send, if you don't pray, and if you don't give, we cannot stay. So tonight you'll get to see my video, and you're going to see hundreds of people who are saved and living for God today. Five, six years ago, three, four years ago, two years ago, a year ago, they were not saved. They were lost on their way to hell, and they were boot, most of them were Buddhist. Uh, some of them were Muslim. But they're saved today, and they're serving God because of your prayers and because you're Giving, And that's what a missions conference is all about. It's sort of to help us to get out of our comfort zone and thinking about ourselves. You know, if we're not careful, we get really comfortable. And that's really my message this morning. So if you have a Bible, Nehemiah chapter 1, I do want to say we have prayer cards on the back table. I have a book. I think I left it back there. We have a book called Keep the Dream Alive. It's uh, uh, just a, a book about my brother. Many of you have asked Pastor Joe Esposito. My brother was in a coma for 18 months. The last words that he said before going into a coma were China or bust. The desire to send the team to China. And uh, so that's what that book's about. And tomorrow, Lord willing, tomorrow some of my books called Peeking Through the 1040 Window will be available. Uh, I think they're on their way here. We're hoping... Uh, that they are. We also have some brochures about the 1040 window. So feel free to grab those things and then uh, make sure you get a prayer card. I'm usually pretty good. My wife said, see, I remind her of a politician. I'm pretty good at getting prayer cards out, but if I didn't get you with a prayer card, make sure you grab one. Let's all stand. Pastor, thank you for allowing uh, me to be here. And thank you, White Oak Baptist Church, for supporting us and for praying for us for many, many years. I'm going to say at least four and a half years or so now, uh, thank you for your, your giving and thank you for your praying. Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, it's sort of a different passage of Scripture than you're used to, maybe at a missions conference, a missions revival, but a few years ago, well, actually, it wasn't even a few years ago, about a year ago, 
I was reading through the book of Nehemiah as I've read through it many, many times, one of my favorite books. And the Lord showed me some things from it and from a different angle that I'd like to share with you today. And, and it, to be honest with you, it, it really does relate to missions. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, we won't. Nehemiah talks about he's doing a great work. And so if I were to give a title to this message today, the title of the message would simply be this. A great work in a faraway land. A great work in a faraway land. Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll go ahead and begin reading in verse number 2. I'll read out loud. You read along with me silently if you would. The Bible says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction. Can I get you to say great affliction? Great affliction. Can I just say something this morning? Outside of the borders of this country, there is a world that is in great affliction. Physically and spiritually. And the truth of the matter is, seldom do we think about it. Great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. And mourn certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. If you would, go to chapter 2 real quickly. Chapter 2, verse number 2. We'll read verses 2 through 6 and then we'll have a word of prayer and you can be seated. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is... By the way, this is about three months later. Bible commentators tell us it's about three months later. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, verse 4, what dost thou make request? In other words, what can I do for you? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said unto the king, if it please the king with a little k, and if thy servant had found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me. Can I get to say, send me? Oh, that was weak. Send me. There you go. Send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, king with a little k, the queen also sent by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king with a little k to send me, and I set him a time. Father, I pray that you'd bless, and I pray that you'd help us in the next few moments. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would have a Nehemiah moment this morning. I pray that you would bless the next three or four days during this mission of revival. I pray that you would do something that no man could do. I pray that Christ would be exalted and honored this morning. I pray that your people would be edified. And if there's anybody this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus, I pray that even this morning that they would trust Christ as their Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to tell you a little bit of background to the story here and then share share a thought or two with you this morning that I think will be a good way to kick off the four days of the missions revival. 
Nehemiah is a Jewish man, but Nehemiah has never been to Jerusalem. He's never been to Judah. You, you have to understand, God's people have been in captivity for about 100 years. And for Nehemiah was born in captivity. And as far as we know, he's never been to Jerusalem. He's never been to Judah. You have to understand, there is no Internet. There is no Facebook. There is no CNN. There is no Twitter. There is no Fox News. There is no television. So Nehemiah, for the most part, knows very little of what's going on in the land of his forefathers. Jerusalem and Judah. Nehemiah is living a very comfortable life, to say the least. He's working in the king's palace. And I'm going to guess this morning that if you work in the king's palace, you probably have a good education. Somebody say amen. I'm going to guess if you work in the king's palace as a cupbearer, that you're probably not only fairly well educated, you probably got some pretty nice clothes, you're probably living fairly well. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Nehemiah serving in the king's palace as a cupbearer, is living a very comfortable, very comfortable life. And it reminds me so much of Christianity in America today. I got saved 39 years ago, and and when I got saved at the age of 21, Fort Lewis, Washington, As a soldier in the military, God started changing my life. And many of you, your testimony would be something like this. And He started changing my life. And as He started changing my life, He changed, of course, the direction of my life. And eventually, I went off to Bible college. And, and of course, I got in church first. And I started living for God. I went off to Bible college. I met a Christian young lady. And we got married while I was a junior. She was a senior in Bible college. And... Uh, she's not older than me, uh, but uh, uh, we got married and we had five children and all of our children today are full-time Christian service and, and we had now have 17 uh, grandchildren. The 18th is on the way and, and uh, you know, God changed my life and gave me a really a wonderful life. And by, isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? Somebody say amen. I got involved with the ministry, been in the ministry now for many, many years. And for many years, 18 years, I was uh, serving alongside my brother, Pastor Joe Esposito. Uh, many of you asked about him this, this morning. You're familiar with the story. And, and to be honest with you, I was a lot like Nehemiah. I was living a committed life, but to be honest with you, I became fairly comfortable. It was nice to have the grandchildren come to my office and get candy. It was nice to be able to serve with my children who were on staff, four of them were on staff there at Pacific Baptist. And, and it, was, it was just, I got really comfortable. That's how Nehemiah was. And that, to be honest with you, that's how most of us are in America. We get saved. God changes us. He blesses us. How many of you know God's blessed us? Somebody say amen. God has been so good to us. Uh, we, we have a good church, we have a good pastor, we have good fellowship, we have a good job, we have a good family. Most of us have pretty decent health. And, and you know, if you're not careful, you get comfortable. And when you get comfortable, sometimes you become complacent. And sometimes when you become complacent, if you're not careful, you become calloused. So Nehemiah is serving in the king's palace and he's living a comfortable life. But all of a sudden, in one moment's time, I call it a Nehemiah moment. In one moment's time, 
the desires of his heart in the direction of his life is changed forever. And when I think about a missions conference, I think about a missions revival, I think about a Nehemiah moment. Here's what God wants to do this morning for you. And here's what God wants to do this week for us. God wants all of us in the midst of our comfort. And may, not, may I say this? I often say this. Comfort and convenience in themselves are not necessarily wrong, but they are often the greatest hindrance to a greater commitment to Christ and the cause of Christ. And we see this all over America. And so here's Nehemiah, he's, he's serving in the king's palace, he's definitely living a comfortable life, definitely living a more comfortable life than the average Jew who's in captivity, and all of a sudden a man named Hanani comes, a couple others, they come from Jerusalem, they come from Judah, and then Nehemiah makes a mistake. He asks a question. Boy, when you ask questions, God can really use it to change your life. Nehemiah says to Hanani, hey, tell me what's going on. What's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on in Judah? Again, no CNN, no Fox News, no Internet, no Snap, whatever, all the, in all the way, venues to be able to find out what's going on in the world. By the way, let me just say this. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ today is more responsible to God than any church in the history of the world because we know more. A hundred years ago, Christians didn't know what was going on the other side of the world. They didn't know about the 26,000 children who die of starvation every 24 hours. They didn't know about the hundreds and thousands of refugees that are fleeing from terror. They didn't know about the vast countries of the world that are lost without Christ. But we know. And we will stand before God for what we know. So Nehemiah asked, and they said, yeah, there's great affliction. There's reproach. The the walls are down. The gates are on fire. And if you have your Bible still open, well, you you don't even need to go there. It says, immediately as he heard those words, he begins to weep. He begins to mourn. He begins to fast. He begins to pray. And by the way, there's different types of fasting, but this fast is a fast where it's not a scheduled fast, but he becomes so burdened for someone or something, he forgets to, he forgets to eat. He loses his desire to eat. And so he, he begins to pray and, and, and he becomes burdened. And then when you go to chapter 2, this is a couple months later, uh, which is very significant because a lot of times we, we go to a missions conference, we go to a revival, we go to a meeting, and God speaks to our hearts, but we lose the burden within a couple of days. But not Nehemiah, he's still burdened. The king sees Nehemiah, and as he sees Nehemiah, he says, Nehemiah, why are you burdened? And Nehemiah tells him, because I, I've heard about what's going on in Jerusalem, and, and my heart's broken. And so the king says, what can I do for you? And Nehemiah shoots up a quick, what we call an arrow prayer, and then he says to the king, he says, significant there, very significant, send me, because here's what I found out about human nature, in, even in my own life. A lot of times we hear about a need and we see the need, and you know what we say? Send somebody else. Somebody say amen. 
This is, you see this in churches all the time. Pastor says, we need some nursery workers. And we all look around and say, boy, she'd make a good nursery worker. She'd be. We, we, need, uh, we need money for our missions program. We need bus workers. We need bus captains. And rather than saying, send me, we say, send somebody else. Now, that's basically a background story. The desires of Nehemiah's heart, the direction of his life changes. I'm reminded of a man named C.T. Studd. Charles Studd was a missionary. At one time, this is in the 19th century, at one time he was an extremely famous athlete. He was very wealthy, had a big inheritance. He was a Christian. But he was living a very comfortable life. He had become complacent. God started stirring his heart, but you know how God stirred his heart? Through the letter of an, an atheist. Let me read the letter from the atheist real quick. Here's what the atheist wrote. Did I firmly believe, as millions say they do, that the knowledge and practice of religion, Christianity in this life, influences destiny in another? Religion or Christianity would mean everything to me. I would cast away earthly enjoyment as dross, earthly cares as follies, Earthly thoughts and feelings is vanity. Religion or Christianity would be my first waking thought and my last image before sleep sank me into unconsciousness. I would labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow of eternity only. I would esteem one, uh, one, th- where am I? I would labor in its cause alone. I would take thought for the morrow of eternity only. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven. We just sang about that a moment ago. The ladies did. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven worth a life of suffering. Earthly consequences should never stay my head nor seal my lips. Earth, its joys, its griefs would occupy no moment in my thoughts. I would strive to look upon eternity alone and on that immortal souls around me, soon to be everlasting happy. I would go forth to the world. I would preach to it season, in season, out of season. My text would be, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? This was an atheist. An atheist basically was saying, look, if I believed what you Christians claim to believe, it would change the desires of my heart. It would change the direction of my life. I would give my life to Christ and the cause of Christ. That's really what a missions revival, missions conference is all about. If we're not careful, we can be like Nehemiah. Serving in the king's palace with a capital K and be comfortable. But a missions revival, missions conference, a few days a year, is when Hanani shows up and he tells us what's going on in the rest of the world. And the ultimate goal is to change the desires of our hearts and the direction of our life. Now, I want to just take a few moments this morning and I want to talk to you about the world. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take a couple moments and I want to plead to you on the behalf of those who cannot come and plead to you. 
In Acts chapter 16, uh, many of us are familiar with the story. Acts chapter 16, verses 5 through 10. I shared it during the Sunday school hour with the teenagers. The apostle Paul wanted to go east. He had a godly desire, but God shut the door twice. And eventually, God led him to a Macedonia. He sees a vision. He hears a voice. And he, he ends up going to Macedonia. He starts a church in Philippi. By the way, that's why we're saved today. And, and, and there's so much to say there. But, but see, he heard a vision. I saw a vision, excuse me, and heard a voice. And the voice said, come, help us. If I could today, I can't, but if I could today, Bring folks from the part of the world that I live. And if I could give them just two minutes, maybe just 60 seconds this morning, to get behind this pulpit and say whatever that they wanted to say, here's what I believe they would say. Come. Help us. Come. Help us. If I were able to bring some of the brethren, some of the sisters in Christ from the country of Laos. Laos is a country of 7 million people. It's a communist country. 65% of the country is Buddhist. 34% of the country are animists. They worship the spirits. Less than 2% of the country profess to be Christian. Profess. That's Catholics. That's Jehovah's Witness. That's Mormons. That's Christians. Anything that has the name of Jesus. Less than 2%. If I were able to get one of them to come here today and, and come to talk to us just for a moment, I believe with all of my heart they would say, Come, help us. If I were able to bring somebody from Cambodia, Cambodia is a country of 15 million people. We've spent the last two years in Cambodia. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, we, we have planted four churches there in the last six years. And we have uh, 12 village ministries. We have a Bible institute. We just started a Bible college. Just opened it up about three weeks ago. And Brother Buna teaches in the college. Your pastor was mentioning Brother Buna. If I were able to bring somebody from Cambodia, whether it's a former Buddhist or Muslim, uh, if I were able to bring them here this morning and say, Vanak, Kasol, Man, uh, Sochia, go up and just take a moment, just one minute. We, the, the, we got a schedule to keep. You have one minute. Here's what I believe they would say. Come. Help us. 98% of the Cambodian people are Buddhist. About 1%. Profess to be Christian. Come help us. If I were able to bring some of the Hmong people that we work with in the country of Thailand this morning, I believe if I were able to take them up here and say, here, and we'd have to have an interpreter, take one minute, one minute, that's all. Share your heart, your burden. I think this morning, a, a country, again, 98 to 99% Buddhist. Share with the church family of White Oak Baptist Church what you would, what you will. I believe they would say, come help us. If I were able to bring somebody from China, 1.4 billion people, 50 independent Baptist missionaries. That's one independent Baptist missionary. 
for every 28 million people. Every once in a while I'll post on Instagram or Twitter. I'll post looking for a place to start a church. Go to Guangzhou, China. 25 million people. One independent Baptist church. Go to Shanghai, China. Over 30 million people. No independent Baptist churches. Persecution has been increased in recent days. But if I were able to bring somebody from China here to be able to, to take a moment to share, I think they would say, come help us. Folks, here's what a missions revival, a missions conference is all about. Waking us up from our comfort zone. Waking us up from our place of complacency. Nehemiah is serving in the king's palace. He's committed. By the way, I believe he walks with God because it's very apparent that he walks with God because as soon as he hears the need, his heart is moved. I believe he walks with God because it, he, he begins to pray and we didn't read the prayer, but the prayer is powerful. And By the way, a little side message here. You can walk with God in a pagan land. Somebody say amen. He lived in a pagan land. He was, there was no moral majority there, but he walked with God. He served God, but he was living a comfortable life. And so God had to do something. God had to bring someone from a faraway land to reveal to him what was going on in another part of the world. Over the next four days, you're going to watch videos. You're going to hear messages. You're going to hear testimonies. You're going, you're going to, God is going to want us. God's bringing us to a place. He wants us to have a Nehemiah moment. Why? So we can pray more. Why? So we can give more. That's what it's all about. Because there's coming a day when we stand before God. And we're going to give it account for our lives. Not only what we did here in our Jerusalem, but what we did to partner with others who were willing to go to other places that we cannot go. It's so easy for us to become comfortable. So many stories that we could share. We were working with some university students. They were very poor students. They were from the villages in Cambodia. But there was a French NGO that would sponsor them to come to the city to get an education at the university. They would pay their tuition. They housed them. They fed them. I think they gave them $25, $30 a month. And uh, which for them would be fairly good. And um, so we started working with some of them. And uh, we would go to the, what we would call dormitories. We would go to the dormitories on a regular basis. We invited many of them to my house. We would have meals and we'd play Uno. We'd teach them all how to play Uno. They love Uno. And we would just have games and we'd share the gospel with them. And, and our guys love playing basketball. Every Tuesday we have guys playing basketball. So the guys would play basketball with them. It's always funny to watch the Cambodian guys, especially in the early stages, because they have no idea what basketball is. And, uh, and we're just building relationships and seeing some of them get saved and it was exciting 
see them get saved and see their lives change and get in church and that type of thing, get baptized. And there was a young lady, her name was Nisa. Nisa was actually not a part of the, she wasn't one of the university students, but she was dating one of the university guys. She was a factory worker. Uh, those of us who live in that part of the world, you've all heard of the sweatshops. And the sweatshops are real. And our ministry in Lao works with a lot of the girls who work in a factory. They work 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, make $100 a month. So you and I could get inexpensive clothing. Great affliction. But Nisa was working in a factory and... Uh, she she actually started coming to church service. She got saved. She was at our house a couple times. and She came to church service. One of our young ladies named Ganya uh, led her to Christ, and she started growing. She invited a young lady named Sukhia, and you'll see Sukhia's t- uh, picture tonight, if I remember correctly. And Sukhia uh, came, and after about two weeks of coming to church service, uh, Sukhia had never heard about Jesus. So she started hearing about the service and eventually Ganya, Ganya is like our, our female soul winner. She led her to Christ. Oh, about a week or two later, and she'd only been saved a couple weeks, she found out she was expecting a child. She told her boyfriend. Her boyfriend basically said, you have to abort the child or our relationship's over. She said, I, I, I can't abort my baby. He said, get out of my house. Now, you have to understand, in that part of the world, there is no government funding. There's no, there's no welfare. There's, there's none of the things that we have in America to care for a young lady who's in that situation. She tried to commit suicide. Ganya brought her, brought, well, she was at Ganya's house. Ganya came to my house right next door, my apartment. We all lived in sort of the same complex there. Knocked at my door. I had some folks over my house, and Ganya said, LeGru, Johnny, LeGru means teacher, pastor. She said, LeGru, can you come talk to Sochia? She just tried to commit suicide. I said, yes. I went over and Talked to her, and Ganya had to interpret for me because I'm definitely not fluent in the language. And and she's, I'm telling, I'm telling Suchia, I say, Suchia, listen, you don't have to abort the baby, and Suchia, you don't have to abort the baby, and you don't, you don't need to take your life. God will take care of you. How many of you believe that? Say Amen. God will take care of you. Then God spoke to me. I didn't hear an audible voice, but God spoke to my spirit. He said, I am going to take care of her through you. By the way, that's how God always takes care of people. Somebody say amen. By the way, it's easy in America, those of us in the ministry, it's easy in America to tell somebody, God will take care of you. Because in the back of our mind, we know there's a government program that will do it. But they don't have that in Cambodia. So for, I got her an apartment. I paid her rent for the next four months. I paid her utilities. Bought all of her groceries. Yes, God took care of her. But through me. 
She got a job. The baby's born. The baby's alive. You'll see a picture of the baby today. Her mother got saved. Her brother got saved. Her brother just enrolled in our Bible college. You say, well, Brother Johnny, what, what are you trying to say? That's what a missions revival is all about. God wants to care for the needs of people in faraway lands. But the way God does it is He does it through you and through me. That day when I met with Ganya and Suchia, and I heard about the need, I could have said, God will take care of you. And then I just could have walked away and said, well, I'll pray for you. And that would have left her homeless. The odds are she would have got the abortion. The baby would not be alive today. No doubt her family, mother and her brother, would not have got saved. She would not have been impressed with my Christianity. Somebody say amen. But not only is she saved and living for God today, her mother is saved, her brother is saved, and there's a baby that is going to grow up in a Christian home. God wants to use you to reach people for Christ. Not only here at home, but in other parts of the world. But most of you are not going to leave here. But you can do, what you can do is pray. And you can give. If you've been giving, I have no doubt if you've been giving faithfully to your missions program here, God is going to inspire you to give more. There may be some of you this morning, you were giving, but you stopped giving. I have no doubt that in the next three or four days, God's going to inspire you to get back on track and give so others can go. God may speak to some, not only to pray, but not only to give and pray, but maybe to go. Nehemiah's living a very comfortable life. Just like us in America. We're, most of us are going to leave this church service today. We're going to get in nice cars. Many of us are going to go out to eat at a nice restaurant. Or we're going to go home to a nice meal. We're going to come back to a wonderful church tonight. And those things are all wonderful and good. But God wants to shake us in the moment of our comfort. And say, I have more for you. To do. I have more for you. To give. That's what this week is all about. That's why we hang up the flags. That's why we show the videos. That's why we tell the stories. Because God wants all of us. To have a Nehemiah moment. Now I'll close with this. As soon as Nehemiah heard. What was going on in Jerusalem. The great affliction. Spiritual and physical. Nehemiah had a choice. He could have said, that's too bad. 
Well, pray for those folks in Jerusalem. But that's not what he did. God changed the desires of his heart. The next chapter, Nehemiah says, I need to do something. And this morning, God wants all of us to say, I need to do something. Nehemiah said, send me. Now, many of us were not going to go, but you can go, as Pastor said in the previous service, you can go by praying. You could go by giving. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You may not go to Cambodia. You may not go to Laos. You may not go to Thailand. You may not go to China. You may not go to Canada. You may not go to some of these countries you'll hear. But your spirit can go. Your heart can go because you gave. Or you can just keep it to yourself. Let's stand. Let's pray.